Welcome to the Central Christian Church Podcast. We pray this message helps you find and follow Jesus. If you would like to connect with us more, please visit us at centralsj.org. If you're ever in the Bay Area, man, stop on by, check it out. Nothing like worshiping God together, experiencing the presence of God uh, with the house, in the, in the house, with the family of God. So excited that you're here. If you are fairly new to Central, we are in the middle of our series, As You Wish. And so uh, every Easter, we give a survey. It's a spiritual survey. We get some information from you that allows us to better care for you uh, throughout the year. Uh, we get kind of a pulse on how everyone's doing spiritually, but also within that survey, some questions where we just like feedback from you. Uh, what would you like to hear teaching around? What, what would you feel like, man, I kind of struggle with this? I want to hear what the Bible says about that. And so that's what we're in, as you wish. You've asked for it. And so the top one that you asked for was teaching around spiritual warfare. So we talked about that week one. Second week, we talked about what you wanted second on that list. We just went in numerical order. was prayer. How do we talk to God? How do we have this relationship with Jesus? And Michael did a great job with that last week. And, and today, what you said, you said, man, here's, I, got, I, I need some help because I'm, a, I'm just a little bit stressed. And how do I deal with with my stress. We'll be talking about that today. Uh, but next week, we're jumping into, uh, back into Romans. And so if you're with us last year, we were, we've been studying verse by verse through this amazing book, the book of Romans. And uh, next Sunday, we're jumping back into Romans. We'll be in chapter eight. So if you get the chance to read chapter eight of Romans this week, uh, Romans is arguably uh, the most powerful book in the entire Bible. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of scholars say it's the most important book in the entire New Testament. And whenever you come to Romans chapter 8, they say it's the most important chapter in the most important book. And we're going to be taking our time going verse by verse through this amazing book. It starts off with, now there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it ends with, now there's no separation from God if you're in Christ Jesus. An amazing, amazing book. And I can't wait to jump into that. I've been studying it for weeks. And man, I'm so fired up. I could actually preach on that today. But... But as you wish, you said, I'm a little bit stressed. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that today. You said this, 35.7% of you said, man, I am, I'm just stressed. And, and what do I do with this? What, how, how do I navigate uh, this stress that I'm feeling? And, you know, this might be the shortest message I've ever preached because as we approach topics like this and discern what does the Bible say, uh, one thing that we can do is just look at how, how it's, what the root of the word is and, and what do you do if it's spelled backwards. And so stress spelled backwards is actually desserts. Did you know that? So you just it's starting with some desserts. So I got some chocolate here. Here we go. Here we go. You want some chocolate? There you go. Some application here. There you go. Your delis. There you go. <laughs> Oh, this side. Okay, here we go. <laughs> there you go. Hey. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. Eat some dessert, y'all. Handle that stress. Well, honestly, I want to help you today because I know we all, we all experience stress. And we have various levels of stress, various reasons for stress. What, what they say is the top three leading causes of stress in our world today, in America anyway, is, is money, work, and family. And can anyone relate to those three? I mean, we got, we got hands up all across the room. And so it's, we're, we're stressed. And you add to those three things, you add inflation, What's happening there? You add, you add, add what, the moral decline of society. You add this thing called, called COVID and then like this resurgence. Like what's going on? And we, we, all compiles. We're like, we're, we're, so, we're so stressed. And I know whenever people ask 
the question like, hey, how do I deal with my stress? It's what they're really saying is, is does the Bible give me any solutions that will, will remove all my stress? And unfortunately, I don't have that message for you today. Because I don't think the Bible indicates that, that we can live life without trouble, life free from, from stress. But he does promise to give you the ability to stand up under it. He does give you the capacity uh, to endure any season, any trial of life. And so if we were to look at the definition of stress, stress happens whenever, whenever pressure is greater than our capacity. Whenever there's, there's pressure that's greater than our capacity, this is what Webster would define it, that, that's stress. And so when we say, man, I'm feeling very stressed, it's because we have some pressures around us, pressures within us that, that lead us to feeling super stressed out. And so I got this illustration I want to show you today. And I was advised against doing this, but this is, this is the chair. And as you can imagine, this isn't a, this isn't a Tim sized chair. Um, this, the capacity of this chair is 100 pounds. And I'm not going to tell you how much I weigh, but I weigh a little bit more than that. And so, and so this is what happens, and this is how we live our life. We say, man, there's, there's more. we got to do more, right? And we're like, man, I know I, know I can do a little bit more, and we, we just continue to do it. And we, we, we sit around in it, and we, we think, man, maybe, oh, and we're like, why am I breaking? What's wrong with my life? I thought God promised me the abundant life. I thought he promised me a good life. God, where are you? Well, maybe it's because we have put more pressure on ourselves than what Jesus ever intended. Maybe we're allowing the pressures of life, the pressures of the world, the pressures of our boss, the pressures of our, our family, the pressures of, of ourself, our internal drive. And then we, we look at our life and we say, what's up? Like, I didn't think life was going to look like this. But stress is whenever our, our, our pressure is greater than our capacity to endure. And so, so I don't have a message that's going to say, hey, there's not going to be any more pressure on you. I, I can't change your family as dysfunctional as they may be. I, you have to go to work tomorrow. I'm sorry, I don't have a solution for your financial provisions. But, but, but God's word does allow us to give us some principles that will increase our capacity so we can endure any pressure that we face in this life. John 16, says this, in this world, you're gonna have some stress. You, you will have trouble, but you can take heart why? Because I've overcome the world, Jesus said. There's hope. After Moses, God delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And so this dude named Moses is leading this, this nation who was once held captive. Over a million of them, scholars say, with all their herds, all their livestock, and they're wandering through this desert. They don't know where their next meal's coming from. They don't know where provisions of water. They're in, the, they're in a desert. And as you can imagine, people who are in those situations, they're not super content and they're, they're grumbling and they're fighting with each other. And, and every day Moses would, would sit at this, 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 this same spot and from sunup to sundown, people would bring Moses their problems, any disputes. And Moses would serve as judge to help them settle disputes. And one day Moses' father-in-law comes he says, man, Moses, I, I've heard what the Lord's done. Like everyone in the regions heard how God's delivered you guys out of, out of Egypt, out of captivity. I just want to see it. 
And so Moses' father-in-law observes Moses day after day, sun up, sun down, serving, helping people navigate their problems, navigate the pressures that they're facing in life. And here's what Moses' father-in-law says. Moses' father-in-law, chapter 18, verse 17 of Exodus says, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing, it's not good. And I just want to say to some of you here in Silicon Valley, what you're doing is not good. Like your pace of life is just not healthy. The, the pressure that you're allowing to sit on your life is just not sustainable. He says, you and the people with you will certainly, you're going to wear yourselves out. You're going to become broken if you're not careful. For the thing, it's just too heavy for you. And you will not be able to do it alone. And so, so Moses' father-in-law doesn't change the situation. He doesn't say, hey, people, no more problems. And then it's all happy clappy. He gives them a, an idea, a structure to, to meet the needs of the people but to do it in such a way that, that increases his modus' capacity and has some margin in his life. And you can read about that in Exodus 18. But he says this. He says this in, in chapter 18, verse 23. He says, if you do this, and that's just a big question. And, and I think if you do what God's word says when it comes to stress, when it comes to increasing your capacity, if you apply the principles I think God's going to give us today, if you do it, God will direct you. And, and you'll be able to endure and all these people will go to their place in, and don't we want that? We want to go to our place in, in peace. God doesn't promise a lack of problems, but he does promise a whole lot of peace in the midst of life's pains. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come to me. This is an invitation. Come to me. All you who are, who are, are, are weary and burdened, and I'll, I'll give you rest. But the prerequisite is we got to come to him. And most of us would think, well, man, God, if you're going to give me rest, like, I can't wait for that lazy boy recliner. God, if you're going to, I can't wait for some sandy beaches and cold beverages. God, like, yes, sign me up for a little bit of rest. But he doesn't take anything away from you. He says, actually, you need to put something else on you. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, some of you might not know what a yoke is. and Like, is that an egg thing? Like, what is that? A yoke in ancient world was an agricultural tool. And so they would, they would take animals and yoke them together. So they would put the animal's head through this, this, this round hook area, and they would team them up with another animal. So while one, it might be very burdensome, but for two, would lighten their load. It would increase the capacity. They could work harder. They could work longer. They could work more, they could work more effectively if they were yoked Together, the, the New Testament in 2 Corinthians says, don't be yoked together. Don't be teamed up with unbelievers. Like it's, it's this idea of you're doing life together. And Jesus' invitation to you is invitation to me. Well, why don't you yoke up with me? And like the creator of the universe will help you carry the weight. It will increase capacity. But it's not only him helping you carry the weight. It's this image of submission. In the ancient world, a, a, a metaphor for submission was a yoke. Students were spoken of of being under the yoke of their teacher. And ancient, ancient Jewish writings contain this advice. Put your neck under the yoke and let your soul receive instruction. So Jesus is inv inviting us to take his yoke upon us to say, he's saying, hey, you submit to me. But like you do things my way. You learn from me. And here's what you're going to discover. I'm a lot better than you thought I was. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. And here's what you'll, you'll find what you've always been looking for if you submit to me. You'll find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he's just asking to step into that today. So I want to give you five principles from God's word that if we apply them, I just think we're going to find rest for our souls. And if you're taking notes, this is where they begin. If you're not taking notes, you might want to write this down. Number one, uh, our capacity increases when we allow our bodies and our minds to recover. Our capacity will increase when we allow our bodies and our minds to recover. Did you know that psychologists, sociologists are saying that the, one of the greatest ways to fight against stress is exercise? Uh, check out this video. This is, the, I think, the most interesting finding of the last decade. Your muscles, they secrete chemicals and proteins when you exercise that are also really good for your brain health. And one of the first papers, you know, almost 10 years ago, that was published explaining that when you contract your muscles, they literally secrete these proteins into your bloodstream that make you resilient to stress and can protect you from depression. The scientists called them hope molecules. This idea that literally your muscles are manufacturing like antidepressant molecules. And the only way to get them into your bloodstream where they can then travel to your brain is you have to contract your muscles. Like, that's it. But your muscles are, it's like a pharmacy. And anything you do that contracts them, walking, hiking, running, dancing, weightlifting, swimming, anything, you are going to be dumping whole molecules into your bloodstream that when they get to your brain, they work as an antidepressant. And they also help people recover from trauma. Like that, that's like a miracle. It's a miracle. And God's wired it into your body. Hope molecules is what they're saying. Like she said it's the greatest discovery in the past decade. And so, like, for, for us, if we're stressed, like, a good solution is, like, go for a walk. Like, go hit the gym again. Like, renew the membership or do whatever you got to do. Get some hope molecules pumping through your body. But once you exercise your physical body, once you, once you reach, you exercise your brain with work and, and investing in good things throughout the week, it's important to give your body and your mind time to, to recover, one of my favorite books is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, written by Stephen Covey. And one of the seven habits of highly effective people is this principle of sharpening the saw. And you've heard this, this story before where this guy's in the woods and he's, he's just chopping. He's got to chop down this whole forest. He's just chopping away, chopping away, chopping away, chopping away. And he does this from morning till noon. And he's still chopping away and his, his, his axe head is getting very dull. It's becoming just a blunt object. And his friend walks by and he's just swinging away. He's exhausted. He hasn't taken a break at all. And his friend's like, hey, wait a minute. Why don't you sharpen the axe? And, it, and he's like, I would. But you see all these trees. I got so much work to do. I can't. I just can't stop. I got to keep chopping. And for many of us, that's very funny when you think about chopping trees. But we live our life the same way. We say, I got so much work to do, I can't stop. I got this deadline hanging on my head and I can't slow down. My kids got this going, I got to shuttle them there. We got this happening, we got this happening. And, and taking a day off, you, are you crazy? I got so much work to do. But we got to sharpen the ax. Abraham Lincoln said this, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening the ax. And you say, well, what, what, how does that apply to me? The ax of your life is your spiritual health your mental health, your physical health, your relational health? And how are you spending time sharpening those areas of your life on an intentional, ongoing basis? Now, honestly, there's a lot of causes for depression and there's a lot of causes for anxiety. But did you know what the leading cause is? What, what psychologists and sociologists are saying the leading cause of, of depression and anxiety is in society today? It's the way we live our lives. 
we just keep going and going and going. And then we wonder, why do I feel like I'm breaking? Well, because our, the pressure, the weight we're putting on ourselves is bigger than our capacity. Johan Hari wrote a book called Lost Connections. Uh, he's not a, a Christian guy, but, but his findings were very biblical and, and, and because all truth is God's truth. And, and he did a lot of research and fascinating stuff. He said this, Johan Hari said this. He says, we need to talk less about chemical imbalances and more about imbalances in the way that we live. We do it to ourselves, but we're quick to medicate. We're quick to numb when God is inviting us to a lifestyle change that will increase our capacity. You say, well, what is that? Well, the Bible calls it this, this word that almost has become like a curse word in our society. It's this word called Sabbath. It's where you take a day, 24-hour period, to do nothing, <laughs> to rest. To re- if, if you're not bored, you're probably not doing Sabbath right. It's intentionally stopping. It's intentionally resting. Exodus 20, verse 9 through 10 says this. This is God speaking. He says, he says you have six days in which to do your work. Like, we need to work. We got good work. We need to invest ourselves into our work. But the seventh day is the day of, say it with me, rest. You need some rest. And it's not just a day of rest. It's a day of rest that's dedicated to God. A day. Not just a church service. A whole day. And you're like, well, what do I do for a whole day? Well, one, you worship. And you're doing that. You're starting your day. Your Sabbath. For many of you, this is your Sabbath. It's not my Sabbath. I actually got a couple of things going on today. But, but for many of you, this is a Sabbath, right? A day of rest, a day of worship. So you worship, you stop. Like, don't check the emails. Don't respond to that voicemail. Don't, 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 don't just, just stop. Take time with the family. You rest. You say, well, what do I do? Like, take a nap. Do what, what gives you life. For me, on my Sabbath day, I, the fourth thing is delight. So we worship, we stop, we rest, delight. And what do you delight in? For, for me, I, I, I enjoy golf. So like I try to get out and play at least nine holes of golf on my day off. I, I delight. I, it refills my tank. Getting outside, a little exercise, it rejuvenates me. Golf, for some of you, might sink your ship, so don't do it. You know, but what, what is it that you delight in? You know, oh, I have uh, Apple. If you have an Apple phone, uh, and if you don't, we, we'll pray at the end of service for you. But um, <laughs> all Android users will be down front. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, but Apple now has a setting where you can, you can set up different um, uh, a break. So like if you're at work from this time to this time, you can delay notifications. Well, so I did. I, I put in my phone a Sabbath. And so I got a, a screenshot of what comes up on my, my Sabbath. It, it's, it's my baby girl. And so on Friday, I wake up, and I wake up to my baby girl blowing me a kiss. And you know what? I just delight in that because she's my girl. And I think, God, I made that. Yes. Like, I, I did that. And my wife Tiffany helped. But I did that. Like, I, I, that's me. That's my girl. That's my baby. And it just starts off with this, this tone of, yeah, it's all going to be good. Eat some delicious food. Hang out with people that pour life, don't suck life out of you. But take a day to worship, to stop, to rest, to delight. Some people will say, yeah, that's an Old Testament law, and, and I'm not really sure the Sabbath is for today. And I would just say, man, I think it's an eternal principle. And it is part of the Ten Commandments. It is part of the law. And here's the deal. You can still go to heaven and not keep it. But I would say this. You don't keep the Sabbath to your own detriment. You can break the Sabbath, but eventually it's going to break you. 
And I, I would just, I've just been around a lot to see it. Like if you don't take a day of rest, eventually a day of rest is going to take you. And you might be in the hospital for an extended period of time. Might be cardiac issues. Might be a nervous breakdown. But, but, but some of us just got so much pressure on our lives that you just need to take a day to stop to allow God to increase your capacity to carry the weight that you carry week in and week out. So first thing we're going to do is increase our capacity by allowing our bodies and our minds to rest. Second thing we're going to do is our capacity increases when we know who we are. Our capacity increases when we know who we are. The clearer you are and who you are, the more you'll be able to fight against the false narratives that people around you and the enemy would love for you to believe. He would love for you to tie you up in knots over who you are. Let society dictate who you are instead of allowing God's word to say who you are. The psalmist put it this way. He said, Psalms 139, verse 14 through 16, he says, I praise you because I know how I'm made. I know who I am. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Like, God, I'm not an accident. He says, all the days ordained for me or written in your book before one of them came to be. God, you made me. And God, you got a purpose for me. Like, I'm... I'm yours. I know who I am. Researchers are now saying that we're the most narcissistic and low self-esteem society in the history of the world. And they say that combination, narcissistic, low self-esteem, multiplies the triggers for anxiety and depression by 100 times. And so no wonder we're the most stressed society. No wonder we're the most anxious society because we forgot we forgot who we are, and we allow our feelings, we allow society to say who we are instead of allowing God's word to say, man, this is who I am. You're made by God, you're made for God, and you'll never know who you are until you anchor yourself in him. Colossians 3.10 says this, put on your new nature, which is being renewed as you learn to know your creator, and here's, here's who you are. We're, we're striving to become more like him. We're Christians, which means Christ followers, like the whole aim of this is not just to have a church service, but to become more like Jesus, to redirect our focus off of temporary things onto eternal things, to see an elevated purpose and perspective of who God made you to be. And he made you to be like a son. And that's who we are. Honestly, the chair is only as successful as it knows who it is. Now, if this chair says, hey, you know what? I think I'm a hammer because I woke up today and I feel like it. I feel strong. And I see that hammer always hammering nails and doing things like manly stuff. And here I am. I just have little kids sitting me all day long. And so he said, I want to be a hammer. And he starts, boom, pounding itself, driving in nails. Well, when is he going to be very successful? No. And he's going to do a whole lot of needless damage to himself because he doesn't know who he is. Or if this chair thinks, man, iPhones are awesome, like, he just mentioned iPhones in service. I want that shout out. And so he's like, he's like man, I, dial me up. He'll be very frustrated when there's no dial tone. And the same is true for us. Until we discover who we are and what God created us to be, it'll be a very stressful, very frustrating existence. It's important for us to know what we're on earth and a lot of us are allowing the information that we consume on social media to bounce around in our heads, the, the news that we consume, ongoing to define who we are and what the condition of our life is. And, and one guy told me one time, he said, 
He said, Tim, one of the most important things that you can do is choose to have selective ignorance. And I was like, what does that mean? He's like, you're just going to choose some things you can just be ignorant about. And so whenever someone's like, hey, did you see that family? They went on vacation there. Wouldn't that be awesome? I didn't see it. But I do live in San Jose, Santa Clara County, where it's over over 300 plus days of sunshine. I'm so grateful for that. So I'm not comparing my life to everyone else. I just know who I am. I just know where I'm at. And I don't know about you, and this is just maybe a soapbox, but I don't so much news. A lot of us are consuming so much news. And it, I don't know if any of you have ever got done watching the news. And, man, I, say, I just got a peaceful, easy feeling. Everything's <laughs> going to be all right. No, every time I turn off the news, it's stress. Like, it's, the sky is falling, and I'm not ready. Just something to consider. Maybe have some selective ignorance and choose what you're going to be ignorant about. It was Eleanor Roosevelt who said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Have some selective ignorance. Galatians 6, 4 through 5 says this. Each one should test their own actions. Like what's, what's God asked me to do? Who's he called me to be? Then they can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to someone else. Your call on your life is different than their call on their life. Each one should carry their own load. Which leads us to our third point. Our capacity increases when we know what we're called to do. So our capacity increases when we know who we are, but our capacity also increases when we know what we're called to do. The happiest people in the room are not those with fewer problems. The happiest people in this room are, are those who know that God has given them a purpose, and with abandonment, they're pursuing that call. They're pursuing that, that, that purpose. Their, their assignment and their purpose has become a beautiful distraction from the problems and the stresses in life. And you just need to know that until you know who you are, you, you're really not going to know what you're supposed to do. But God does have a purpose for your life. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's workmanship. Uh, one translation says, we are God's masterpiece. Like you're, you're his masterpiece. And you're not just, that's, that's who you are, but he also created you to do something. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Check this out, which he prepared before you were born. He had plans and a purpose for your life. He prepared in advance for us to do. But here's what you would also need to know. Your calling has a competitor. Your calling has a competitor. And the competitor is the trivial things, the things that, that won't matter 100 years from now, the things that maybe they're not all bad, actually, but they're just not the best things. And so it would be worth our time just to say, God, one, what is your word? Who do you say I am? And God, I just need to, you made me on purpose. You, you created me. What do, you, what do you want me to do here on earth? What, what, what do you want me to invest my time, my energy into I promise when we clear the clutter of the non-essentials, it'll give us much more capacity. It will, when we are alignment with what, who God says we are, what he's created us to be, you're going to find a little bit more peace. You're going to feel crushed under pressure. But in American society, we just have this mindset that more is better, right? Like if $1 is good, $2 is it's better, right? Help me out. One car is good, two cars is better. Like if one sports team's good, two sports team is, is better. Like if one kid's good, two kids is dangerous. That's right. <laughs> Expensive. I got three of them and they're awesome. But if one husband's good, two husbands is don't. <laughs> One's too much. Like 
We're a lot of work. Sorry, ladies. More is not always better. Ecclesiastes 4.6 says this, uh, better one handful. You say, but wait a minute, I got two hands. Better one handful with some tranquility, with a little bit of peace in your life, than two handfuls with toil and anxiety and stress and chasing after the wind. But society around us says, no, more, 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 more. And to what end? And to what purpose? So you can be like everyone else? Maybe it's better just to have one handful and have a little bit of peace in your life. Know who you are. Know what you're created to do. And if you're like, man, I'm not sure what I'm created to do. Well, I would just love to extend a formal invitation. September 24th, we'll be having our Thrive membership class. And if you don't want to become a member here at Central, one of the things that we do for you is to help you discover your purpose. And so we do a spiritual gifts assessment. And here at Central, man, we want four things for you. Let me just tell you real quick. We want you to know God. We want you to grow in freedom. We want you to discover your purpose and show your purpose. And by doing so, you're going to live a life that makes a difference in this world. You're going to go change the world. And so Thrive Membership is really that, that third piece of the puzzle, discovering your purpose, where to get plugged into the kingdom and serve eternal purposes with God. So September 24th, after the 1045, I just, man, I just would love for you to come. However we can help you, it would be our joy and delight to do that. The fourth thing that will increase your capacity, our capacity increases when we're supported by others. When we're supported by others. And some of us, honestly, we like this one. Some of us, we don't really like this one. Because we're like, well, yeah, but that's for like the extroverts, and I'm not that. That's for people that love being around people, and I just, it drains me. But for all of us, this is important. One of the, in fact, one of the descriptions, all the descriptions actually, in the Bible, of the church, are group descriptions. There's groups. It's called a fellowship. The church is called a family. It's called a community. It's called a body. Though we're made up of many parts, though all of our parts are many, we form one, one body, Paul said. It's called an assembly. Jesus' favorite term for the church was a flock. And I don't know if you've ever seen National Geographic's where there's a herd of antelopes or a, a flock of antelopes. And if you've seen it, and there's always one dumb one. You're like... Why are you going there, man? Like, just stay with the pack. And every time he wanders off, what happens? He's a lion's lunchable. Like, he's just, he's on the plate. They're like, why'd you do that? But how many times are we the same way? We're like, I think I can do this on my own. I think I got this. And it's true, you can go further by yourself, but the end you reach, like, why is it even worth it? We're a flock. We're called to be together. There's strength in, in numbers. And some people say, well, man, i got people all around me, but I still feel all alone. And that's what they said was the number two cause of depression, of stress and anxiety, is isolation. And so you got people around you, but you don't let anybody in. Ecclesiastes 4.8 says this, there was a man, he was all alone. And he had people all around him, but he, he just didn't feel like he connected. He had neither brother nor son. And there was no end to his toy. He just worked and worked and worked, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. He always wanted more. And it says this in verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good return for the work. If one falls, his friend, he's got a friend to help him back up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him back up. Also, two lie down. They can keep each other warm, but how can they keep warm alone? And the one be overpowered. And I'm sad to say it, but some of us are there. Like, we're just being, we're just being overpowered. 
because we're trying to do it all on our own. But two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands, forget about it. It's not easily broken. Researchers are now saying that we're the loneliest society in the history of humanity. And what psychologists and sociologists and psychiatrists are saying, that they say this, they say what made us a super species is what they would call us. They, they, they think you're an animal, but you're not an animal. You're created by God. You're created for God. But he said, they say what made us a super species was our ability to come together, to unite for our common purpose. They say what, what's causing so much stress, the reason anxiety and stress is so high in society today is because we've disbanded our tribes. And now it's all about you. It's all about me. And we're not worried about anyone else. We're not in a family. We're not in a flock. We're not in a community anymore. And so psychologists and psychiatrists, they think, I've figured it out. And here's what they've, here's what they've dubbed the term uh, social prescribing. And it, here's what they're socially prescribing. And, and I love it because I love it when science is finally catching up with what God already knew. They say this. Here's what you got to do. You got to find a friend. This is social prescribing. You got to find a friend and do something meaningful together. And I'm like, that's the church. Like, that's what we're here for. Like, we're not just here to sing three songs and hear the best message you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> Why is that funny? No. <laughs> it's the church. We're here to make a difference. And you're doing it, by the way. Did you know that right here in the room, like we, we exist to people know God, grow in freedom, show their purpose, go change the world. And it's happening, friends. 67 people have gone public with their faith right here at Central and gotten baptized this year. That's awesome. Like people are knowing God. Students are being trained and sent to the harvest field. Kids are realizing they don't have to let culture dictate who they are because they have a creator who wants to be their forever friend and go on this relational journey with them all their life to avoid a lot of the hurts and habits and hangups that have tripped so many of us up. I don't know if you know this or not, but you've provided 137,000 meals to people who couldn't provide a meal for themselves right here in San Jose this year. Uh, yeah, that's cool. I think so. But I could never do that on my own. You could never do that on your own. Anyone in the room ever fed 137,000 meals to someone? No, but we're together. We're the church. Like together, like, like you provided hope to those suffering the fires in Hawaii. Like you, you provided hope to those suffering in hurricanes. You're providing hope today to those suffering in Morocco. You're rescuing kids and women out of human trafficking through our partnership with AIM. I could never do it on my own, but you've, we're doing it together. Like Central launched that. I was talking to Roger uh, a few weeks back and like, do you know, like AIM, they, they've, they've rescued like over six, 1,600 kids and women out of human trafficking. Did you know that? And that all started here at Central. They were launched out of Central. It's awesome. I don't know any of you. Maybe you've rescued 1,600 people out of sex slave trafficking. But, I have, but together, that's what I'm saying. Be a part of the tribe. The world says, just do you. You just be you. You just figure out who you are. I love this quote, Johann Hart. Again, he's not a Christian. Here's what he said. Don't be you. Don't be yourself. Be us. Be we. Be part of a group. Like get locked in. F find some friends to do, to make a difference with. And by the way, we're launching groups right now. And, and so you can sign up today, join a group and try a few of them. Here's what I would say too. 
The purpose of your group is not just so you can get, study God's word and, and get to know God's word better. You will, and that's awesome. The purpose of your group isn't just so you can pray for each other. You will, and that's awesome. But the real win for me anyway in your group is that you'd find someone and you'd say, I got to take off this mask for a moment. And here's what I'm really struggling with. Everything looks good on the outside, but man, here, I'm broken. And here's the part where I'm broken. And you know what they're going to say? What? Really? You too? I struggle with that too. And here's what you're going to find. You're better together. Your capacity is going to increase when you find some people, when you do life with others. The fifth and final one is this. Our capacity increases when God is helping us. Our capacity increases when God is helping us. And some of you, maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, I need God's help, but I'm not sure why he's not helping me. And I was counseling with someone a couple weeks ago, and they said that. They said that very word. They said, said, I don't know why God's not helping me. And I asked them a couple questions, and we kind of dialogued a little bit, but we, we both discovered at the end of the day that's what, that was their view of God. God's my friend, and therefore God is the one who helps me. But I, I tell you what I told them. He's friend second. Yes, he's your friend. He sticks closer than any brother, but, but he's friend second. First off, he's Lord. He's, he's the boss. Like he's the one in in charge. He's not just the one who helps you. The question is, have we come under his lordship? Have we come under his authority? Because when we do, then he's, yes, friend. Yes, helper. But first and foremost, the Lord. He's called the prince of peace. And we want some peace, don't we? Now, I love this. This is from Isaiah. And he says, he says we often read this at Christmas time. Like he's, he's the prince of peace. But, but prince here is this, this Hebrew word, char. And char literally means he's the one in charge. It's not just like some pale-faced English boy who's a prince waiting to take over the throne. No, he's the boss. He has authority. He's the, the chief. He's the general. And I'm just saying until you make him the chief of your life, you're not going to have any peace. Until you make him the general over your life and you give him the authority, you call the shots. I'm going to do life your way. Doesn't matter how many church services you go to, you're going to miss it because he's the one in charge. He's the shah. It's the Russians get the, their word czar from this. Uh, Romans get the word Caesar from this root of this word. He's the, he's the, he's the leader, but he's the lead, he's the prince of peace. And he does have shalom for you. That, that's the next slide. We got, he's got peace for you. And shalom means rest, tranquility, wholeness, completeness, contentment. And we say, God, I want that. Like, I want some rest. I want some tranquility. And it's available to you, friends. You just got to put him in his rightful place. Let him be the general, the one who is in charge. You say, well, how, how do you know that? Well, it's replete throughout the Bible. Psalms 4, 8 says, I will lie down and I'm going to sleep in peace. Why? Because you alone, oh Lord, I know who you are and you're in your rightful spot. You make me dwell in safety. Psalm 29, 11, the Lord gives strength to his people. We want that. 
The Lord blesses his people with peace. You want strength? Make him the Lord. You want peace? Make him the Lord. Like, put him in his rightful spot. Acts 10, 36. This is the message of the good news to the people of Israel, that there is peace. How? Through God, through, through our Lord, who, who, through Jesus Christ, who is the, he's the Shar Shalom. He's the Lord. He's the chief. He's the ruler of all. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, shalom, through our Lord, Shar. He's the ruler, he's the authority, he's the chief, the governor, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We say it this way, the prince has some principles. And when you live your life based on his principles, you're going to have peace. And I've waited the whole message to say this next fill in the blanks. I hope you hear it. Most of us, most of our stress comes from ignoring God's principles. If we were to sit down and talk and you say, man, I'm stressed in this area of my life. And we would just look at God's principles. We say, how are you doing in that? I think most of our, I'm convinced most of our stress comes from ignoring God's principles. But when we apply God's principles, we begin to experience his peace. So we gotta put him first. He's the Lord of all. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first, not second, not, not just one day a week. Seek tomorrow morning, we're gonna put him first. This is the first of your week. This is Sunday, you're putting him first. Good on you. Tomorrow morning, wake up, put him first. Put him first in your finances. Put him first in your family. Put him first. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and then everything you've been wanting, you're going to see come to fruition. You're going to get some peace. All these other things will be given to you as well. Here's your last fill in the blank. Peace comes when I put God first. You want some peace in your life? Today's just an invitation to surrender afresh to him, to put him back in his rightful place. Let him be first. And listen, as you do, you're going to experience his peace. And your capacity is going to increase. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you, God, for your radical.